God, we thank you that you are a loving and a gracious God, a God who not only created us, but have, have been constantly um, sur- working in the world to draw people back to yourself. Even though we have rebelled against you time and time again, we've ignored you, we have shaken our fist at you, you continue to relentlessly pursue us. We thank you for that, and we, we ask that you would stir our hearts again this morning so that we would not only come running to you, but that we would also be uh, eager to be used by you to draw more people to your son, Jesus. We ask that you would uh, open our eyes and our ears to be able to understand your word this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, every year, our community hosts uh, a few fundraisers to support uh, those who are impacted by cancer. Uh, so in uh, just a couple weeks, the American Cancer Society will be having their Relay for Life here in Ludington at, at Oriole Field, and a bunch of people will come and participate that. In, in the end of the summer, in August, the, the end of August, we'll have the, the Adam Rader Color Run to support uh, families who have been impacted by cancer. Now, for some of us, most of us, we would consider this a worthy cause, and many of us would be willing to, uh, in some way, participate. We'd be able to be willing to uh, donate money to this. We'd be willing to donate time and, and to volunteer and to help out. This is a worthy cause, and we want to support it. But for some of us, this is not just a worthy cause. It has become personal. It has deeply impacted our own lives. So when we see the, the luminaries lit up around um, the field of, on the Relay for Life, that's not just a bunch of names. It's not just a bunch of, uh, of lights. It's someone with, with your family member's name on it. It's your loved one who you're remembering. When you hear statistics about, about cancer, it's not just numbers to you, but you've got a face attached to that. It's, it's your mom. It's your brother, someone who deeply cares about you. This isn't just a good cause for you. This is personal. It matters. See, there's a big difference between being supportive of something that you see as a good thing and being passionate about something that has become deeply personal. Over the past two weeks, we've looked at God's heart for those who are right now outside of a relationship with Jesus, those who are far from him. And we've looked at the the great mission of God in bringing people back into a relationship with himself. But I realize that but for some of us, this mission is still maybe just a good thing. It's maybe just like a a worthy cause, something you might support, but it it hasn't yet become personal for you. My, My hope and my prayer is that as we continue in this series, you will see that this is a deeply personal matter. This is something that that really matters to you. One of the reasons I've challenged you to to identify your one, that one person that God has put on your heart that he's calling you to be intentional about reaching, is because I, I want it to become personal for you. Maybe your one is your son or your daughter. Maybe your one is your mom or dad. Your one is, is your best friend. We have to get to a point of seeing that this isn't just a theoretical sort of a thing. This isn't just the mission of the church. This is my mission to reach my one. And as this mission becomes personal, it demands that we ask a big question. How? How do we actually do this? How can I reach my one for Christ? How can we reach our community for Christ? That's what we're looking at today. The text that we have before us is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. If you don't have a Bible, you can borrow one from the Purack. It's found on page 1,134, 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, 1,134 of the Pew Bibles. So we're looking at how we can live to bring others to Christ. And, and Paul is showing us two ways that we can do this, two ways that we can live to bring others to him. 
As we look at the text, we, first, we see the first way is to give up our rights so that we remove barriers to the gospel. Look at what he's saying there, starting in verse 19. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul is using himself as an example. He's telling uh, this church in Corinth of, of how he is living his life. He is willing to adapt his lifestyle to reach as many people as possible. So when he is among the Jews, for example, he's sensitive to their traditions. He's sensitive to their customs. He knows that these aren't a matter of salvation, and yet they can be something that would hinder someone from actually hearing about Jesus. So he knows, for example, that he has a right to eat a food like pork, something that an observant Jew would not be able to do. But he's willing to forego that right because he realizes that him participating might actually be a barrier to someone hearing about Jesus, someone hearing the gospel. Now, if you were looking at Paul's life from a distance and you were with him every single day, it might look like he's being inconsistent. Sometimes he's eating pork and sometimes he's not eating pork. But there is a deeper conviction and a deeper consistence that is driving this. When it comes to matters of freedom, Paul is willing to adapt his ministry, adapt his lifestyle for opportunities to minister the gospel. He wants to remove every barrier to the gospel. That's what he's doing here. He's removing anything that would get in the way that would hinder someone hearing about Jesus. He's giving up his rights to remove barriers to the gospel. Don't miss what's driving this whole thing for him. Look again at verse 19, the second half of it. Why is he doing this? It's to win as many as possible. Verse 22, the same thing. I become all things to all people so that, why? So that by all possible means I might save some. What's driving this whole thing for Paul is mission. That Christ has called him to go with the gospel and bring the gospel to every single person that he comes across. That's why he's adapting his lifestyle. He's working hard to make sure that nothing gets in the way of the gospel. So he knows that he has rights. He knows that he has preferences, but those aren't the main thing for him. The main thing is the mission that as many people as possible would come to have faith in Jesus. So he's willing to adapt his life for the sake of gospel impact. All things possible so that by all means possible he might save some. Now the church today has to get this. There are lots of things about church life and about church practice that are really not that important. We need to be willing to adapt to be able to reach the cultural context that we find ourselves in. Now I realize that when I say that that's going to make some of you nervous because you think what I'm saying is that we have to change the message. That's not what I'm saying at all. We, we, it's always the same message. There's never a different message. This is about Christ. It's about teaching the truth of the Bible. So the message is unchanging, but it's realizing that people don't have to become culturally churchy sort of people to look like us and talk like us and act like us to be able to come to Jesus. We remove barriers, remove the cultural baggage so that the main thing is Jesus. Let me give you an example. 
Uh, my wife and I moved here to Ludington from Wheaton, Illinois. And the church that we came from, uh, every single Sunday, more than half of the men would wear full suits. Suits, ties, the whole deal. Just about every single Sunday. Uh, every one of us would probably walk into there and feel underdressed this morning if we came like we're dressed right now. It would be kind of uncomfortable. And I actually found out later on that they actually had a rule that if you were on the platform, so if you were uh, reading scripture or praying or preaching, you had to wear not only a suit, it should probably be a dark suit, but also your shirt had to be white. Blue shirts were apparently a little bit too edgy for this crowd. And, and also, your, your tie had better not be too loud. Now, this is in Wheaton, Illinois. Wheaton is a very wealthy suburb of Chicago. Most men owned a suit. Most men owned multiple suits, and many of them wore suits every single day to work. So in some sense, this kind of made sense for that culture. It made sense for Wheaton. Now, I like to dress up. I own multiple suits. I own multiple sports coats. I, I tend to think that I look pretty good in, in a suit in my more vain moments. My wife at least tells me so. Now, what if I decided that that should be Trinity, that all of us should wear suits and dresses every single week, and everyone from this platform should wear not only a, a button-up tie and, and or shirt and tie, but also a white shirt and a dark suit and a tie. I mean, picture the worship team up here in suits and tie, right? They look like the Beatles. Wouldn't that be fun? It just wouldn't make sense for Ludington, Right? We're supposed to dress like the, the people that we are among so people don't feel like, well, first I've got to go get my special clothes and then I can be part of this church family. Now, let's be clear here. Some of you prefer people to actually dress up like that in church, and that's fine. Some of you prefer suits and dresses in church. That's a great thing. Some of you prefer uh, jeans and t-shirts, and some of you prefer undershirts in, in church, and that's fine. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that what we are doing is for the mission of Christ. It's to remove every barrier to someone hearing about Jesus. Listen, I'll wear a peacock costume while I'm preaching if I think people are going to be able to hear the gospel more clearly then. Don't picture it. You pictured it. Don't picture it. Paul is a great example for us. He's saying everything for the sake of the gospel. Yes, I have rights. Yes, I'm free to use those rights. But he's willing to give up his rights to remove any barrier so that someone can hear about Jesus. Because that's the most important thing. It's everything to bring others to Christ. The cultural stuff, that doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel and that people can actually hear about that. And it's very easy for the church to lose sight of this in, in even very subtle ways. But we have to be constantly aware of this. How can we remove barriers? What is it like for someone to come into this church family not knowing any of our little unstated rules and cultural stuff? What is it like for someone to come in? And how can we remove every barrier so that they can actually hear about Jesus and not feel like first they have to kind of fit in? The question that we always have to be asking ourselves when we look at different practices is, is this helping the mission of God to reach those who are outside of Christ, or is this hurting that mission? Is it putting up fences and barriers that someone has to cross before they can hear about Jesus? It's an incredibly important thing for us to be asking when we gather together as a church family. See, we are here to connect people to Jesus, not to initiate them into some little subculture. So when we gather, we try to use plain language. And we're not perfect about this. We use churchy terms, and that's fine. Some of those are important. But when we do that, we want to try to explain what we're doing. 
so that when someone doesn't know what an offering is or they don't know what discipleship is, we explain that, we make it clear so that they don't feel like an idiot and they don't feel totally lost when they come and they gather with us. And this is something for the whole church to be part of. When you see people gathering together on Sunday, don't assume that they know where to go or what to do and they know the right place to be. If someone looks lost, maybe they are lost. Go and and introduce yourselves to them. Ask them if you can help them. Maybe you don't have the answer to their question, but you can direct them to someone who does. If you've gone to another church, especially a church in a different tradition, you can know the experience of feeling lost in church sometimes. I was, uh, or my family went to a church in Florida that we'd never been to, and it was a good church, but we had a really uh, negative experience there, to be honest. We were sitting there in the back row because we had our kids with us. It was an 8 o'clock service because we're early morning kind of people, and we're sitting there, we're, we're singing songs with the congregation, and, and a little bit into it, a man came over and, and uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know what, if your kids are making too much noise, then there's actually a cry room in the back you can take them to. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not sure if he's telling me, hey, take your kids back there or if he's just offering a service. I uh, wasn't really sure, but I didn't want to kind of test the limits, and so I did take our youngest at least out uh, into the lobby and kind of uh, watch the rest of the service from there. And he, he was kind enough to come out and make sure that I was settled and everything. But I actually saw on the bulletin later that it said children under six basically are, not, are asked to not be in the sanctuary during worship. Now, what does this tell us as a young family? We've got kids that are two, three, and six It says, you are not welcome here, right? Now, we're Christians. We can get over this. It's not a big deal. But if this is someone who's not yet a follower of Christ, and this is the attitude that the church has, like, no, sorry, your your kids aren't welcome here. When they grow up, maybe they can join us. That is a terribly destructive kind of a thing. The message is that you are not welcome here. You are not one of us yet. We have to be so careful to look at what we're doing and what we're communicating both verbally and non-verbally by how we act when we gather and to be as welcoming and warm as we possibly can to make sure there's no barriers to someone hearing about Jesus. But this isn't just about when we gather. There's tons of mission that happens outside of the church walls as well. We have to think about how we can give up our rights in our personal life too to be able to remove barriers to the gospel and bring it out. Here's one very simple, very big principle. Don't spend all of your time with church people, right? Don't spend all of your time with people who are just like you, who are already followers of Jesus. Go where the people are. So think about where do people in our community naturally gather? Where can we go and and meet people who need Christ on their own turf, so to speak? A bunch of you went down to to downtown yesterday and participated in the big world record ice cream attempt. A bunch of you went down to the, the bonfire. Those are great things. Go to where the people are. Go to Friday Night Live. Go to the Marina Playground. Go to the, the bonfires. Go join a bowling league. But, but go to where the people are. We can't expect people to simply come to us on our turf, on our terms. And yes, we're working very hard to be a community that welcomes all who come and that has a level of openness so people will want to join us. But at the same time, we have to be active in going out. Don't spend all of your time with church people. Now remember, the goal here is to win as many as possible. That is what's driving this whole thing for Paul. And it's what has to drive the whole thing for us as well. This is about the mission that Christ has given us. We are called to direct our whole life to bring others to Christ. And this first principle that Paul gives us is to give up our rights to remove every barrier to the gospel. Second way we can do that is to discipline ourselves to live intentionally. Look at the next verses starting in verse 24. 
Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul is using athletic imagery now to uh, help us understand what he's saying about living intentionally to bring others to Christ. If you've ever talked to a serious runner, you know what he's talking about here. Uh, just yesterday was the Ludington Lake Strike, this great race that our community hosts, starting right down on the beach, and there's a 5K, there's a 10K, there's a half marathon. And some of you probably participated yesterday, and some of you just did this for fun. It's a great chance to get out there. It supports Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a great cause. And the 5K, you can just go out and even walk it and have a good time. But some of you were serious. Some of you set a goal. I'm going to do the 10K in under 60 minutes. I'm going to do the 10K in under 50 minutes. Or I'm going to set a PR for 5K like some people in the front row over here. I'm going to win my age category. So you set a goal. (laughs) And when you do that, how do you get there? You train. You have to discipline yourself. You're adding miles week after week. You're you're adding speed training. You're, You're intentional about this. You're disciplined. You're training hard. That's what you have to do if you have a goal and you want to reach it. Paul is saying the same thing about the Christian life. We have a goal is to win as many as possible with the gospel, to bring others to Christ. And if we're going to reach that goal, we have to discipline ourselves and be intentional. Mission doesn't happen by accident. We are called to run to win. Now, it's very easy for the church to get complacent. Say, well, church is in a pretty good spot. Let's just kind of catch our breath right now. Well, that would be fine, except that Jesus calls us to make disciples. He says that we are to be his witnesses, to tell everyone possible what we have seen and heard and experienced of who he is. And the reality is that there are people all around us who today are living apart from God. Today, that means that they are destined to spend eternity apart from God in hell. That's not a time to rest. That's a time to discipline ourselves, to run, to win. Paul says that's how he is living his life. He's not aimlessly jogging around without any direction like it doesn't matter. He's not throwing little punches at the air like an ineffective boxer. He wants to make an impact, and so he is intentional. He disciplines himself. He lives intentionally to bring others to Christ. Mission doesn't happen by accident. It takes work. It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. I read an article a couple weeks back, and here's the title of it. Uh, Here's what happened when some dude ate like the rock for a month. These are the kind of uh, articles that I apparently read online. They're very scholarly, you can tell. Um, The Rock, if you don't know, is a man named Dwayne Johnson. Here's a a picture of him. As you can see, he is massive. He's this former um, professional wrestler uh, turned actor now, and he has quite the training uh, regimen. This this one man, uh, this normal guy named Mark Webster, saw this this training routine and decided that he wanted to give it a try for one month. And so he did. He was going to eat and train like The Rock for a month. So... He realized he had to eat seven meals every single day, totaling 10 pounds of food every day, which amounts to 2.3 pounds of cod, you know, low-fat, high-protein, 2.3 pounds of cod every single day. And of course, if you're buying this much food, your grocery bill is pretty expensive, $1,262 worth of food for this one month of eating like the rock. 
5,500 calories every single day. That's a lot of food. And not only is it a lot of food, but it's a huge time commitment. He spent three hours every day preparing and eating food. And he found that it really disrupted his whole workflow. Every two hours he had to stop and eat something. And then, of course, if you're eating that much food, you also need to be spending a tremendous amount of time in the gym. And so every day he spent an average of two hours in the gym between cardiovascular activities and weight training. So all told, for this guy to eat and train like the rock for one month, he averaged five hours every single day. Now, if you are like me, you're thinking, this guy is crazy. I mean, this guy's doing it for a month, but the rock, he's really crazy. He's doing this every single day for his life. That's way too much uh, time. That's, that's way too much effort. It's, it's way too much work. It's way too much money. I would never do that. Well, and that's why you and I don't look like the rock, by the way, among other things. But the point that Paul is making is not about training to be an Olympic athlete in his day or or keeping up the rock's physique in our day. The point he's making is that if some people are willing to go to that much effort and be that disciplined for the sake of such a temporary thing as a little vegetable wreath in his day at the Olympic Games or or for muscles and, and physique like the rock in our day, how much more should Christians be disciplined and live intentionally to bring others to Christ? We are called to something that lasts for eternity. It lasts forever. This really matters. This is about eternal life and death. So we are called to discipline ourselves, to live intentionally, to bring others to Christ. Remember, this is all about the mission that Jesus has given us. It's about living to bring others to him. Let me give just a couple practical things. This cuts in two different ways as we look at our schedules. On the one hand, it realizes that that we have to be intentional to say no to the wrong things. Now, many of us are very busy people. We are always going from one thing to the next. We look at our calendar, we look at our schedule, and there is just no free time. It feels like we're always running, always doing something. Let me just say this, that, that being busy is not a virtue. It's very easy to be busy. It's very hard to discipline yourself to do the right thing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a a hard look at what you do this week. And if you need to be like me and and take a a pad and write down everything you do during the the whole week, you can map it out and say, this is where I spend my time. And I want you to look at that and say, am I doing the right things? Or am I doing things that I shouldn't be doing that are just wasting time? And and am I wasting my life by the particular things that I'm doing? Maybe it's something as experimental as saying, you know, I'm going to go off TV for a week. Or I'm going to not read internet news articles for a week. Or I'm going to get off Facebook for a week. Or I'm not going to follow sports for a week. Maybe it's looking at some of the activities that we're doing, some of the things we're involved with, and say, you know what? I can't do that anymore. Maybe it's a good thing, but it's not the right thing. It's not what God is calling me to right now. Whatever it is, it takes the discipline to be able to say no to some things to be able to say yes to the most important things. So that's one way that this cuts, of being disciplined for intentionality. And the other side of it is to do the things that we're already doing, but be more intentional about those things. So maybe you're here and you're a student, and it's, it's summer break now, and so you're off the hook for a few months. But as you go back to uh, school next fall, maybe you're going to remember this and say, you know what, I want to be disciplined, and I'm going to cut out things that don't matter. I think school is a waste of time. I'm going to cut that out so that I can do the right thing. But of course, that's not an option, is it? The other thing is, you can be intentional right where you are as a student 
You can live to bring glory to God right where you are in the school day. It's not a waste of time. God has put you there. You're there anyway, spending all these hours at school. Make the most of that time. Use it well. Be intentional. So, for example, you could be intentional about befriending someone who maybe is a little bit looking like they're left out. Or you can be intentional about being a positive example by refusing to speak badly of others or refusing to gossip. There are tons of opportunities for you to live on mission right where you are. This is true whether you're a student or a business owner or a stay-at-home mom. You have opportunities to do what you are doing intentionally for the glory of God and for this mission that Christ has given us. Do what you do for the glory of God. Here's a very simple way that you can do this. Just bring others with you. So we live in this great town. We've got this great beach just a mile away from here. Say you're going to go to the beach with your family. Invite someone to go with you. It's very simple, and it's a, it's a great opportunity then to, to build friendships, to build a relationship with other people. You're already doing it. Do it intentionally, bringing other people with you. Or maybe you're going to go cook, cook some uh, burgers in your backyard. Invite someone to come join you. It's not that much work to throw a couple more burgers or a couple more hot dogs on the grill and invite someone to join you. It's about being intentional with what you're actually doing. Because remember, this is about disciplining ourselves. It's about living intentionally to bring more and more people to Christ. It's about always having that mindset of reaching out beyond ourselves into the people that God has called us to reach. We are at our best as a church when we are mindful of this and when we're thinking like this. I've seen you do this. I've seen you open your homes and open your yards. You've hosted barbecues and desserts and game nights and all sorts of really creative things. That's fantastic. Keep doing those things. Those things can be used by God to grow those relationships and help people to see that, that Christ really does make a difference in your life and you can give it a chance to introduce them to more followers of Jesus so they can experience Christian community. We get to use our lives to bring others to Christ. See, when God called us to himself in Jesus, he called all of us, everything that we have, everything we are for his glory I'm so happy to be part of a church that, that gets that and, and aspires to live like that. A church that, that wants to be able to say to God, yes, use my life, all of my life for your glory, everything. Whatever it takes, all in, no holding back. And as we continue to build this into who we are, spur each other on toward this, I can't wait to hear the stories of what happens as we live intentionally to bring more people to Christ. We've already heard some fantastic stories, but as we continue to press hard for that, I can't wait to be able to praise God and and join this great party in heaven over one single person who repents. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or or if you're a Christian who's not quite sure about this all-in stuff yet, Just know that this is our heart. This isn't some kind of weird scheme that we have. This isn't something we're trying to to trap you in, to try to get you to to kind of be like us and look like us. We just want you to know Jesus. Jesus has made all the difference in the world to us. He's the greatest thing that has ever happened. He has become the treasure of our hearts. We want you to be able to experience what we've experienced too. And we know that church can be weird. We know that there's this whole subculture thing and, and you're not sure why everything happens the way it does. Our goal isn't to, to make you converted to our subculture. Our goal is to introduce you to Jesus. And we're not going to be perfect at this. We're always going to make mistakes and we're probably going to offend you. We probably already have offended you. But we are on a mission that's given to us by our King, given to us by Jesus. He called us to go and to be his witnesses. What does a witness do? They tell what they have experienced That's what we get to do all around the world, starting right here where we are. And so that's what we're going to do. Church, we are committing to this together. 
We want to hear more stories like Kylie's story of, of people being obedient to God's call to be faithful in prayer, to be reaching out and hearing that people are, are coming to experience Jesus again because of that. Now, many of us have already filled out these little one cards with the name of the, the one person that God has put on our heart. If you haven't done that, I want you to do that as a sign of your commitment to Christ, to, to join this mission and to reach your one for Christ. Some of us have also uh, written the first initial of our, of our one on the big poster that's just on the other side of that wall. Again, this is a, is a sign of our commitment before God and before the church family that we are going to be intentional about reaching out to our one. And now Paul is challenging us to live a disciplined, intentional life to bring others to Christ. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. You've got your one. Now let's put it on your calendar. Look at what you're doing this week and think about how you can make a contact with your one this week. And again, this person's not your project. This isn't something you're doing to check off a box. This is someone that is made in the image of God, that is loved by him, that is someone that you care deeply about. So make an effort this week to, to carve out some time. Maybe it's to invite them out to breakfast or invite them over to your house or, or go out to the state park with them, go for a walk, whatever it is. But be intentional about building this relationship that you have with them. Jesus has called us on this great mission. And that mission doesn't happen by accident. It takes us caring enough to give up our rights to remove every barrier to the gospel. It takes us caring enough to, to discipline ourselves to live intentionally. But the bottom line is that each and every one of us, if we are a follower of Jesus, is called to live to bring others to him because our whole purpose for existence is to glorify God. And we do that in our time by bringing more people to join with us in finding life in Christ. That's what we are about as a church. That's what this one mission is about, and that's who we want to be as a church family. Would you please join me in prayer? God, I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your uh, abundant life that you pour out on your people. I thank you for caring about us. I thank you for the examples of those who have gone before us, who through the ages have given everything, not only to follow you, but also to tell more and more people about you. Thank you for the example of Paul, who wrote this letter that we looked at today, this great example of, of everything for the sake of the gospel. I pray that you would build that into our hearts too. Make this mission not just the church's mission, but my mission personally. And God, I pray that you would bring more people to life in your son. This is our great desire and our great hope. If it's going to happen, we need you to work. So we ask that you would work by the power of your spirit to draw more people to life in Jim. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.